Welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden. And I'm your other host, Peter. Hey, Peter. How you been? What you been up to the last couple weeks? Oh, my goodness. I have been working. It's almost like you have a job or something. <laughs> you know, so, uh, something's got to pay for the pay the bills and all that stuff. But uh, but no, in addition to working, um, you know, been doing a little um, playing some listening to some music. Um, did watch the end of Ted Lasso with my wife. How'd you feel? How'd you feel about this season when it was all said and done? When it was all said and done, I thought they landed the plane. Okay. There was some turbulence on the way to the ground, but I thought they landed the plane. It ended in a positive enough way that, okay, this is going to be a bit of an unfair comparison, but when I finished Mass Effect 3, when it very first came out, Uh I finished the end, I opened, I ejected the disc from my Xbox 360, put the disc in the the uh, you know the DVD the whatever the Xbox case. Uh-huh. Closed the disc drive, turned off the Xbox, took the took the uh, game disc and put it in a box, taped the box shut, taped it yet again, and then stuck it in a corner of the basement where it could sit until we were moving because <laughs> I didn't even want to see the box anymore <laughs> because I was that disappointed. Uh, the first time through with the end and I have since softened on it. And, you know, with some of the additions they made, uh, the absolute, uh, garbage ending that is the actual ending of mass effect three has far less sting. They, they did some things to, it still sucks, but, oh yeah, no, it's, it's a terrible ending, but there's enough things they have done to engender goodwill, uh, with that game that by the time I get to the end, I'm not as angry as I was. And so I was a little worried that I would get to the end of Ted Lasso. And if they really kind of, you know, screwed it up that I I might not want to go back, but the last few episodes, they really seemed to be hitting a stride and they moved a little fast. They were a little over crammed because they were trying to tie up all the story beats. Uh, but when it was all said and done, I was uh, more than happy enough with it that I uh, have fond. I am fondly looking forward to doing a rewatch at some point in the near future. So, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, You know, I I will not lie and tell you, I don't think I have touched book 11 of the Wheel of Time since we spoke last because I I ran out of a little bit of steam. And so I'm going to need to get back into that. But it hasn't been a priority. That's fair. Uh, Music wise, I think I, I texted you about this. I uh, have been listening to some of the remasters of Opeth's first three albums, Orchid, Morning Rise, and My Arms, Your Hearse, and really enjoying them. Has had me going back and listening to earlier Opeth, nothing really after Watershed, uh, but listening to some of that stuff and reminding myself why I, I like older Opeth so much. And I uh, have been enjoying that quite a bit. And then I think the final thing I want to mention is uh, I have been playing the hell out of Diablo 4. And nice. really enjoying it. I uh, did play a little bit more Breath of the Wild. And then I realized on Saturday that if you were a sucker like me and you had pre-ordered Diablo 4... And I don't know if it was one of the higher levels. It was. Again, sucker, 
you don't need to know which level I pre-ordered. You can probably figure out just by the fact that I'm embarrassed to say it. But needless to say, Saturday I could start playing Diablo 4. So I started playing Diablo 4 and Breath of the Wild is going to be something I come back to in a while after I play a lot of Diablo 4. So so yeah. have you have you had a specific class that has caught your attention in your first few hours with it? Uh, I started off as a sorcerer because I really love the sorcerer class in Diablo three. Um, I still think necromancer. Well, I don't know. You know, Diablo three is one of those that every time I pick a class and I really buckle down with it, with the exception of the witch doctor, which just has never really grabbed me. Um, but you know, I, I love the sorcerer, love the demon hunter, love the hell out of the necromancer. And once I finally leveled up the monk to level 70, I had a blast with the monk, but given my soft spot for the sorcerer in Diablo three, I fired up as a sorcerer so far. I am predominantly using uh, lightning based spells right now. That's kind of the, the branches of the skill tree that I've been going down is focusing on lightning. Uh, I like it. Don't know uh, if I want to respec and maybe do some non lightning stuff. But so far, I am enjoying it, and it plays like Diablo. It looks a lot better than Diablo 3, moves faster than Diablo 2, which is my complaint with Diablo 2 at this point, having played so much of Diablo 3. Mm -hmm. And so, kind of a nice compromise. Skill tree is, a, there's more, there seems to be a lot more complexity to it than in Diablo 3, which you know, some people didn't like that about Diablo three. I really enjoyed in Diablo three, how you could freely change between all the different skills and, and try new things as you unlocked both new skills, as well as new runes for those skills. Uh, there wasn't a ton of real depth to it, but I liked a lot the ability to just try something else out. And if you picked up a, a piece of gear uh, that gave either a bonus to or enhanced one of the abilities then going, Hey, all right, this makes this better. Let's try it out now and see. Uh, and so I'm a little sad that that part, uh, they've sort of undone that. And it seems a little more reminiscent to the Diablo two sort of skill tree, uh, than Diablo three, but, uh, I'm having a good time so far and it's just kind of fun to have, uh, have more Diablo. Yeah, I remember you being really fond of 2 and 3, so I'm glad you're enjoying 4. I am. I'm having a good time, and I haven't had any weird long uh, queues or times to wait when logging in. Oh, that's I've nice. I've been able to get in fairly quick. And it is interesting. I mean, it's not that interesting, but it definitely feels like they've sort of MMO-ified Diablo 3 because you're just going to see player characters running around all the time. Oh, word. And... And yeah, and there will be random world events. You'll see kind of an orangish circle. Oh yeah. Uh, in an area on your map. And if you run over into that area, there will be an event and you know, there'll be other people may show up, may not depending on how many people are on the, who, who are in the realm with you and stuff. Sure. And so you kind of have that aspect of it and then you're running off and you're following all your own side quests or main quests or, you know, particular quests for your class. Uh, class quests, things like that. So uh, it kind of feels a little bit uh, MMO-ish. Sounds I like it. played a ton. I remember a friend of mine had said that 
those especially those like public quests really felt like like a fate in Final Fantasy 14 where there's like okay here's this timed thing it's up for 15 minutes there's this list of things that need to happen and you can do it by yourself it ain't gonna be super easy if you're doing it solo it's a lot easier if more people come yeah yeah so again you know fun to have a new game uh i because i am generally someone who ends up playing a game a while after it's released when it's sort of you know moved through the zeitgeist already and and things are settling it's kind of fun to be part of it and uh, getting into something that is new because that's not usually how I do it. So yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to. What about you? Nice. How you been doing? What you been up to? Yeah. Um, I have a few things to mention. Um, so I have been listening to this album by a duo of musicians. Uh, they go by the name of Vega trails. Um, and it is a duo that is bassist Milo Fitzpatrick and saxophonist Jordan smart um and so it's kind of jazz or post jazz minimalist jazz um and they have one album out is all unfortunately um it's called tremors in the static and it is really really good um i have been listening it listening to it while going to sleep the last few uh last few days like the last couple of weeks um and it's really good and like thoughtful jazz it's not just like noodly or meadly um it's really melodic and really thoughtful and builds a lot on motifs and i am really impressed with it i'm really really enjoying it and i hope to uh i hope to have new music from them hopefully not too long from now because it came out last year hopefully they'll do another one soon um but i've been really enjoying it nice um I read a novel that's worth mentioning in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's called Shadow of Gorgon um, by Celine Tang, which is a, a nom de plume of a duo of authors um, who I am friends with on social media, uh, one of which we've talked about on this podcast, Benjamin Trudenkiao. Um, and this is set in the same world as the Maria Ying books, Grace of Sorcerers and Might of Monsters, which I talked about previously on this podcast um grace of sorcerers was my favorite book i read last year um i think it's really incredible um and so this is set in that same universe but she is now uh, co-writing with a different author um and it gives the book a very different feel um which is fun um but it is about this basically this woman is the mystically it's like urban fantasy Um, And so this woman is the mystically created doppelganger of the world's greatest mercenary commander. And she is basically, she has existed for the last 30 years as a doppelganger in case something happens to the person and has been like, okay, sent on missions and pretended to be the, the, the main person. But like she was basically there as backup in case the person died. And the book starts with the original dying and so the doppelganger being activated and being like okay you're her now so you need to figure out who killed me and keep running my company and slot in with my two wives and like figure this out and she's like but what if i don't want to do that 
And so it's an interesting tension with that. And then like an underling who has like become totally smitten with her and has like kind of a schoolgirl crush on her, which gets her involved in the, the, the drama of the, the story because she's kind of chasing around this ruthless mercenary general, like a puppy dog with big eyes. Um, it's really fun. It's a really fast read. Um, I had a really great time. Uh, it sort of ends on a cliffhanger, which kind of pissed me off, but I know that they're working on the sequel right now, so I know it won't be too long before we have a sequel, which will be fun. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It was really fun. Um, the co-author, Emily, I can't think of her last name. This is the first book she's ever written. Um, and I think it's really great that an established author will team up with these other authors who have not had a chance to publish their work before and kind of yeah, that is cool. bring them into the industry, which is cool. Um, I really enjoyed it. Can't wait to read the second. Um, and then I have been playing a little bit of video games, which I want to mention. Um, firstly, uh, I played all of Forspoken. I finally bit the bullet. It was on sale for half off because of Sony's days of play. And so I finally bought Forspoken. And you know what? Unfairly maligned video game. You know, I have purchased it on Steam. Uh, and just because my gut was telling me that. I don't know why, but my gut told me in a similar way to some things that we discussed before we started recording, say Mass Effect Andromeda. Great game? No. But unfairly bashed? Absolutely. So... I've bought it and I'm pissed because I've tried to play it on two different computers and I keep getting different errors on start and it won't. Oh, work. that really so sucks. I'm pissed. That really sucks. I hope you figure it out because I played it on PlayStation, like I said, because that's where it was on sale. I never had any errors whatsoever. When did you try playing it? Because I know they put out a big like stability patch just a few weeks ago. I don't know. It's been a few weeks. Oh, it's been a couple okay. weeks, but it hasn't been too long. Well, I... I really enjoyed it. I had a very fun time. I, I see where the complaints come from. Like, I understand why people were like, I don't like this game. But I think a lot of it comes down to racism and misogyny <laughs> because it is a black <laughs> female main character. Um, and so many things in life and in video games, <laughs> racism and misogyny. Yeah, I think that. I think that a lot of the backlash comes down to racism and misogyny because it is a far better game than the vitriolic um, uh, lashing out would have you believe. The thing is, it is a blast to move in the game. You have mm -hmm. just ridiculous traversal powers in this game. Um, you eventually... Uh, it takes a couple hours to unlock it. It has kind of a slow start. I'll be the first to say that. It starts a little slowly. You got to give it two or three hours before you start getting the cool parkour powers. But once you do, it's extremely fun to move around in the world. I didn't love combat. I The spells were not... That's not true. Once I got the fire sword and I was like, oh, I can play it melee now? Great. I love to play melee. I don't... Sure. I'll take melee over... Uh, ranged attacks any day great give me the flaming sword um 
so that kind of unlocked combat for me in a lot of ways unless there were enemies that were particularly resistant to fire then i would swap to the water magic or whatever but if i could i was just like i'm going to use my large flaming sword and beat them to death with it but the traversal is so cool because you have these wild parkour abilities and it's really 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 fun um and the the protagonist really grew on me like i see why people didn't like maybe the way that the dialogue was written i thought that there were a few parts that were a little cringy but a lot of it was really believable a lot of it was like Frey, the main character talked like a 20 something and like from from new york and that's what she sounded like and that's what she talked like so yeah she said the f-bomb more than i think i've ever heard in a video game uh (laughs) because she that's who she is and that's how she speaks and it works because this is like an isekai story she gets like pumped like transported through a portal into another world and she's like what the fuck and like i get it i would probably be saying the same things um but yeah i really liked it i had a really good time and it's not that long i think i spent 18 19 hours total playing it and i did not all but most of the side content i i went around and i unlocked every cat i could find all of the cat familiars so every time i would go to a church to rest up i would have like seven little cats floating around and coming to snuggle with me while i go to sleep so like (laughs) i did the cool things i did what needed to happen but I think it's a really fun game. Uh, and so if you can get it to work, do it. I think it was really fun. Good. Good to know that it's worth making it work. The other things I want to mention are just interesting in that they relate to games that are kind of games that I play frequently and if have been playing for years in both of these cases. Uh, first off is the very interesting news that BioWare is shifting development and maintenance of Star Wars The Old Republic to a different publisher. They're going to shift maintenance of the game to Broadsword Entertainment, which is basically a studio where they ship old MMOs off to just be in maintenance mode, where people are like, we'll still pay to play this game. I know you're not releasing anything new for it, but we'll still pay to play it. So like... Ultima Online and Dark Age of Camelot are the two that they are currently supporting. So like those are blasts from the past. Yeah. Right. People still pay to play those games, dude. You know, good for them. They enjoy it. That's great. Exactly. I mean, I was looking at this MMO, uh, population website and which is a lot of it is guesswork, but it said that the most popular played MMO right now is old school runescape. What? (laughs) what why would anyone play old school that game sucks so much but uh, i digress i do think i i think that this is an interesting play i think that it shows and again it's a thing that we had been talking about previously related to a different conversation that's not in the podcast but is worth mentioning here bioware is just at a at a tough place right now bioware as a studio has really fallen from the the heyday of bioware This is not Dragon Age Origins and Mass Effect 2 era Bioware anymore. This is our last two games flopped and Dragon Age 4 had better succeed or we are going to get shuttered. So I think that... Which is sad. Which is sad. I mean, I think so. There's a lot of Bioware games I have a lot of fondness for, so I don't want them to fall apart as a studio, but... 
it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Star Wars The Old Republic because they're like, we still have plans for further content. And it's like, but the company that you're offloading the game to doesn't do that. They do maintenance mode. They say, we're going to keep the game running. We're not going to add anything to it. Right. And they've said that like there's there's a team of about 70 people who currently work on, work on Star Wars The Old Republic, which I'll not lie was a shock to me. I'm surprised it's that big for the minimal amount of content they've put out in that game in the last two years. But still, yeah, they said about half of those people are going to leave Bioware and move to Broadsword to continue working on this game. So like... 35 people seems like more than you would need to just keep the game, like keep the wheels on, but it doesn't feel like enough to even put out the amount of content that they've been putting out for the last couple of years. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see what happens. My sneaking suspicion patch 7.3 is coming out in the next couple of weeks. They've said, they've said that 7.4 is under development. I think they got one, maybe two more patches in them, and then this game's done. And then it goes into maintenance mode. Yeah. Which... That would make sense. On one side, on one side, it's a bummer, because I, I have spent a lot of time playing that game. I think that there's some really special stuff in that game. But also, it's showing its age really a lot. And it is... It hasn't... They haven't been able to put out a lot of stuff... Um, for years at this point it's really been a trickle so it kind of feels like maybe it's okay that it goes into into maintenance mode but i'll still be sad when it does yeah and then the last thing i will mention is also about an mmo that i play a lot of which is final fantasy 14 put out patch 6.4 so this is the fourth content patch since the big expansion drop of endwalker and i'm just I'm just, I don't know if I'm feeling it anymore, which is disappointing to me. Because, like, huh. the thing is, when Endwalker dropped last, I mean, two Decembers ago now, December 2021 is when Endwalker came out. Uh-huh. At, when I played it at first, I played it at launch. I remember feeling pretty fondly towards it. But the more time I had, like, separated from it, the less I've liked it. And when I replayed it using New Game Plus, there were parts of it that I thought were pretty okay, but a lot of it I really didn't like very much. And and if you were to ask me today, I would say that Endwalker is the weakest of the expansions. Okay. And I think it's because Endwalker did what Avengers Endgame did, where it was like, we're going to tie up all the loose ends. We're going to give you every bit of fan service you can imagine. And there are people for whom that really works. Avengers Endgame is uh-huh. wildly popular. People still talk about how much they loved seeing Avengers Endgame. And there are people for whom that type of fan service simply doesn't land. And I find myself in that latter camp. I think Avengers Endgame sure. kind of sucked. And I really hated watching it. <laughs> I thought that, oh, joking captain america saying his own ass is great haha oh captain america finally picking up thor's hammer oh here's all of the women superheroes in one frame together like every one of those made me pissed off they didn't make me cheer the way that it did so many other people 
And Endwalker does the same sort of stuff where like if you're bought in and you like these characters a lot and you just want to see them do cool stuff, then you're like, yeah, Endwalker's so great. Emmett Selk came back and he died in the last game and should have like this complete it's time travel will be nonsense is why we can spend time with Emmett Selk again it's so great to see him again whereas I'm like I fucking hated that guy and I was so glad when I put him in the ground at the end of 5.0 and now you're making me hang out with him again for three out of ten of these levels of this expansion I want to die right now uh so it was just <laughs> I I felt I feel really like Endwalker kind of sucks which is a bummer because like it's following up a pretty dang good one. Shadowbringers was a pretty dang good expansion. And I think Shadowbringers is worse because of the ways that Endwalker built on it. And but it hmm. but it wrapped up the big story. So it was like, okay, 6.0, the big story is wrapped up. And they were like, okay, in the patches, 6.1 to 6.5, we're gonna tell a new small story. And then at the very end, set up whatever is happening in the next big expansion, 7.0. And I just have not really enjoyed this new story either. A lot of it is tying into fan service about Final Fantasy IV, which is not one of the Final Fantasies I've played. So, like, I don't feel fondness towards Golbez or Barbariccia or Rubiconte because I don't, I've never played the game that they're in. So, it's not right. getting me on that, yo, it's Cognasso. Because I'm like, who the hell is Cognasso? I don't give a fuck about Cognasso. I don't know. This. <laughs> I, I do not know this man. I don't know him. Uh, so it's it's kind of lost me there. And then I thought to myself, okay, hopefully the raids are good. Because in each of the major expansions, there's been a trial series, which is like big boss fights and like story wrapped up in the big optional boss fights. A raid, a normal raid series, which is again a series of of, of boss fights in this in the, you know that build on one another and tell a story, and then the alliance raids, which are the big twenty four man uh, fights, which are just wild because you got twenty four player characters there at a time and it gets pretty hectic and fun. I I usually like those. I'm sure. And both they did first off they don't they're not doing an optional trial series in this one because they're like oh we're gonna have all of the trials be in the main game. So there won't be this whole side story that you usually get that are some of the more fun side story stuff that you'll get in the patches. It'll be part of the main game. And it's like, okay, I wish there was, I wish there was an optional uh, trial series, but okay. But then I haven't liked the stories of either of the raids either. Like oh. one of the normal raid has been tied up in all of the ancients and the Asians stuff. And I don't care about that. I just... I was just bitching about how much I hated those three levels out of the 10 that I spent in the past hanging out with the ancients. I hate these fools. I'm glad they're all dead. And you make me go back in, back in time and have to deal with them again? No, I don't want to deal with these fools. Yeah. And then the Alliance raid is, oh, hey, you know how this game is all about how gods aren't real and they're just manifestations of the desires of the people who summon them. And so you specifically as the warrior of light have spent the last f five parts of this game, just killing every God you see, just walking up to every God and being like you, me, let's go. And then killing him. Like, that's what you do. That is what the warrior of light does. You show up, you see a God and you say, oops, no God. And the expansion or, and the, the Alliance raid in this expansion is about, well, 
those Beastmen gods you've been killing for these last five uh, base game and four expansions, they're not real gods. But the 12 gods that the regular people pray to, they're real. They're like real gods. Even though that doesn't fit in the cosmology of this universe at all, these 12 guys, they're real. And they're like really gods. So it's cool that we pray to them. So you're going to go fight them to prove that you're cool, but you're not going to kill them because you're going to pal around with them afterwards because they're real gods. And I'm like, no, I no, I kill gods. That's what my character does. Since 2013, the main point of the Warrior of Light has been, oops, there's no gods anymore because I killed them. And now you're telling me, well, you'll just just have a little sparring match with these gods and then be friends with them afterwards. No, I want to kill them. I want to kill these gods. So (laughs) I'm really hoping. Uh, Interesting. I'm really hoping that when FanFest happens next month, we'll get some information about the next big expansion. I'm hoping it reignites my interest in the game because I'm just kind of like feeling a little burnt out on it. And it's kind of a shame because it's the game I've played the most in the world. I was going to say, I know you love that game. And I still, and, and I still do, but it's hard for me to want to play it that much, which is why I've been playing so many other stuff, which is why every two weeks I'm like, here's, I played six games in the last two weeks because <laughs> I haven't been that invested in playing final fantasy 14. Cause I haven't liked the story they've been doing for the last little bit. So sure. That makes sense. I hope, well, I, I hope for your sake, they kind of get it. Yeah, I hope they get it together too. I hope so. they get it together. I hope they start doing a story that I will like again. If they if they decide in 7.0 to go to the quote-unquote new world, which is where that game gets the most unfortunately racist, I will be done, I think, playing that game. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. But anyway, um, for our main event tonight, we are going to talk about a movie um, in preparation to talk about another movie in a couple of weeks. Um, tonight we are going <laughs> to, and in, in part that is because I was not able to make it to see the movie that we were originally going to talk about. So, um, I called an audible and here we are, but also in part because it rules and we should talk about why it rules. Oh, uh, we will. And the movie we're going to be talking about today is Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, I think we probably both saw it when it first came out. We did. Yep. And I have both watched it in the last few days. I watched it Saturday morning before I went and saw the sequel across the spider verse, which is what we'll be talking about. Spoiler in next episode. Um, and I know that you just recently finished it up again, like half an hour ago. (laughs) I mean, at this point it's probably like an hour and 10 minutes ago, but yes. And also I do want to say, I truly believe that this is only the second time I've seen this movie. A word? I don't think I ever watched it after I saw it the first time. Not because I didn't want to, but because I'm one of those people for whom watching a movie, uh, it feels to me like a significant investment, sure. even when it truly isn't. And often I'll think about watching a movie and I can think of a dozen other things I could do. Uh-huh. And then I'll do those things instead. Interesting. So I don't rewatch movies very often. 
Yeah, I I find that I don't rewatch movies a lot, not because I don't watch movies, but just because if I'm going to use that time, I should be watching a new movie because there's so many movies I haven't seen yet. But I have seen Spider-Verse uh, half a dozen times, probably. I went and saw it in the theaters okay. at least twice. Nice. So what do you think about this movie? You just watched it an hour and 10 minutes ago. You rewatched it. How <laughs> did how did your rewatch of Into the Spider-Verse find you? Um, before I rewatched Into the Spider-Verse, I would have described it as one of the best animated movies I've seen as, as well as one of the best superhero movies I've seen. Uh huh. And after rewatching it, I think if you put a gun to my head, I might say it's the best animated movie I've seen and the best superhero movie oh. I've ever seen. It's not the best animated movie I've ever seen because I've seen some real bangers, but... Yeah, you've seen a lot more than me. It is the best superhero movie ever made. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. It is like I say. the best superhero movie ever made. Uh, yeah. And, and and yeah, Hunter, I am completely on board. Again, I remember thinking to myself before I rewatched it, yeah, this is, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, probably like top five superhero movies. And now it is uh, agreed. I would say without hesitation. Yep. It's the best superhero movie I've ever seen. I, so again, I watched it last Saturday morning because I knew, you know, Cassie was off doing some stuff and she was like, we're going to go see the movie in the afternoon. So I was like, I'm going to rewatch this one before we go see the sequel. And I sat in my front room and I like sobbed for like an hour and a half. This movie made me cry like seven or eight times. And maybe part of that, maybe part of that was allergies. I have been dealing with a lot of allergies, <laughs> but the fact remains, I cried so many times watch, re-watching this movie because it is so good at hitting the emotional highs of what a good superhero movie can give you. Yes. And like, it just does an incredible job of hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting with like no misses. No, I agree. It was, again, I knew it was good. And even within minutes of starting it, I thought to myself, oh, you don't remember how good this movie is. And, and then for the next approximately two hours, I was reminded it's, of just how good this movie is. It's really good. I'll do a quick, you know, if for some reason, listener, you have not watched this movie yet, you should go watch this movie because we just told you it's the best superhero movie ever made. Oh, you, you yeah. thought it was Spider-Man 2? Unfortunately, it is not Spider-Man 2. This is better than Spider-Man 2. Oh, you thought it was oh, Superman? Yeah. Unfortunately, it is not Superman. This is better. Oh, you thought it was Mask of the Phantasm? That's not even the best animated superhero movie because Spider-Verse is there. Um, so you should go watch it. But I'll do a quick a quick explainer. This is Miles Morales' movie, and that's part of why it rules so much. It centers Miles Morales, who is, um, you know, a kid of, uh, you know, a, a black cop and a Puerto Rican immigrant mom and is in high school and trying to figure things out he's going to a prep school he's got his uncle aaron who's maybe involved in some some shady shady stuff he seems a little uh a little um you know like a like a ne'er-do-well perhaps um 
and he goes he's feeling overwhelmed he goes to see his uncle his uncle takes him out to do some graffiti down in a subway tunnel he gets bit by a spider like you do when you are going to be the main character in a spider-man movie he eventually returns to figure out what's happening once he realizes he's got spider powers finds that spider-man is there uh fighting green green goblin and the prowler and trying to stop this uh um particle collider from opening up because the kingpin is trying to get his wife and son back because they have died in this universe so he is hoping to use this particle collider to open a gateway to a parallel universe where he can get a copy of his wife and son from another universe spider-man is able to stop it he's able he realizes that miles is there and realizes that miles has the same powers as him and says you know i'll teach you how to do this you know i so i just gotta i gotta do this one thing i'll teach you how to do this um he gets really badly hurt miles runs up to him he gives miles a a usb stick that will be able to turn it off if it ever gets turned on again and shut it down and then the kingpin kills him and we watch spider-man die Peter Parker is dead. Yeah. And uh, so Miles runs off. Uh, he just doesn't know what to do. Like, what do you do? He just watched Spider-Man die. And it really feels like in this version of this Marvel universe, he's really the only hero. So like, this is not a world where there are Avengers and X-Men and Defenders and every other, and Alpha Flight and every other <laughs> champions every other one you could name uh-huh and so he's like what do i do like he said he was going to teach me how to be spider-man but like i don't know what i'm doing i'm just a kid i'm like 14 or 15 and so he goes to peter parker's grave and runs into peter parker peter b parker who is a spider-man from another dimension who is older and worn down and beat up and tired and he has been sucked into this dimension by the collider and so they through a series of misadventures realize what the situation is they know where they need to go to try to fix the uh the usb drive that has been broken as miles was trying to figure things out they go to alchemax and run into uh a scientist there by the name of olivia octavius who is this universe's version of doc ock um and as they are escaping they run into another spider person a spider woman gwen stacy from a different different dimension um eventually they make their way to aunt may's house uh who brings them in and then says here are three other spider people all of who showed up on my doorstep where we meet spider-man noir who is a you know hard-boiled noir spider-man from the 1930s we meet penny parker who is a schoolgirl from 31 something in the future who has a mech in which a spider lives that gives her spy- hacking powers and she can do spider stuff and spider ham you know peter porker the spectacular spider ham you know from comics who are all there um they all meet up they realize what they need to do to fix the uh, usb drive um they realize that the only way they're going to be able to get everyone home is if one of them stays behind to close the gate with the usb drive and miles is like i can do it i'm from here so i can do it 
I will disable the collider so you can all go home. But they're like, you don't got it, kid. Maybe you'll have it in the future, but you don't have it yet. You've had these powers for what, a week? Like, we've all been doing it for years, two more years. Like, we've been doing this for a long time. You don't, you don't have it like us. Miles is hurt by this. He goes to visit his Uncle Aaron, and he realizes his Uncle Aaron is the Prowler, the supervillain, the Prowler, um, which obviously he is distraught by. So he runs back to Aunt May's house, uh, and he is followed. And all and the Kingpin and all of his uh, henchmen show up, start destroying the house. They're all fighting. They get away. Um, but as... Uh, the prowler catches miles he pulls off his mask and so his uncle also pulls off his mask as he realizes what he was about to do because he just almost killed him and then the kingpin shoots the prowler trying to shoot miles and so he gets killed and so miles you know has this heart to heart with his uncle um gets away as his dad who is a cop gets you know radioed in and sees a spider person fleeing from his brother's dead body thinking that maybe he did it and you know miles is just falling apart he's devastated by all this um the other spiders show up to basically say goodbye to him they tie him up uh, with webbing and they say you know thanks but you can't you don't got it so we're gonna all say goodbye to you and peter b parker decides that he is going to stay behind so he will sacrifice himself so that everyone else is able to go back to their home dimensions um miles's dad stops by thinks that miles just doesn't want to talk to him because he doesn't open the door and realizes his son is tied up in spider webs but you know has a real uh, you know meaningful heart to heart um with his kid um which is what finally drives miles to like try again and he gains controls over his powers. He goes back to Aunt May's house, gets a new spider suit, designs it himself with spray paint, and has one of the most sublime moments in cinema. I'm tearing up just thinking about it, where he like realizes that this is a leap of faith that he has to take, and that's what Peter Parker has told him. He's like, none of us know what we're doing. Yeah, Doing this is a leap of faith. So he goes to the top of this very high building, and he jumps and it works and he does it and he figures out how to start swinging and he becomes in that moment he is spider-man now he's not miles morales he has become spider-man so he shows up he is there as the others are as the collider is opening up he's able to get the rest of them home uh while working with you know peter parker He's able to finally send Peter Parker home too. So it's just him versus the Kingpin. He gets his ass handed to him by the Kingpin, but he's finally able to, you know, control his electricity powers because Miles Morales has slightly different spider powers than most of the spider people. He has electricity powers and like is able to restrain him with his electricity powers, causing the collider to stop working. He saves his dad who has shown up here and seen this as well and basically saves the universes because he's able to close this collider down and that's where the movie ends it ends with him having a very awkward conversation with his dad because his dad doesn't know who he is but he knows who his dad is and so he's like hello officer thank you for your support (laughs) and then like gives him an awkward hug and like 
his dad is like, why is, why is Spider-Man hugging me? I'm so confused right now. Um, and that's how the movie ends. He realizes he is Spider-Man. He is the Spider-Man for this universe. And he might not know what he's doing, but he's going to figure it out. Um, everyone else makes it home to their home dimensions and that's how it ends. And then it ends with Gwen opening up a portal to say hi to miles again. And that is where it kind of ends. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, y'all heard me just tear up thinking about him making the leap of faith. Like it's just a really affecting film. It distills like everything you need in a good superhero yarn or even a good Spider-Man tale. And like, just feeds it to you raw, you know, like it ha- he has his, I've lost a loved one moment. Although it's weird because his loved one is a is a supervillain instead of like, you know, Spider-Man being like, oh, I didn't stop a bad guy and now he killed my uncle. It's my uncle was the bad guy, but he also like is a guy who I loved and cared a lot about. You know, it has like that star-crossed sort of lover situation because Gwen and Miles clearly feel a lot for each other, but they also know that they're from different dimensions. So like, how's that going to work? You see, well, and and Gwen is carrying around the baggage of in her world. It wasn't Uncle Ben who died; it was her best friend, her best friend Peter Parker, who Peter Parker, who was the lizard in her universe because she was the spider person. And so, you know, the, you could read a lot into this, and this basically follows the stories of you know Gwen Stacy's Spider Woman in the comics, where like. She became Spider-Woman and Peter Parker was like, I wish I could be powerful and strong like Spider-Woman. And so he tries to use, you know, science to do that, becomes the lizard and gets himself killed doing it. And that is her Uncle Ben moment. And so she's also like hesitant to, she keeps everyone at arm's length because of that, because she lost her very best friend. And so now she just doesn't have friends. But now she has these people who she can connect to, who she can be like authentically herself with because they know that sure, she's Gwen Stacy, but she's also Spider-Woman. And like, they can know that about her. So in that way, she's able to finally make friends again. And with Peter B. Parker, you have the story of what would it be like if you were Spider-Man for a long period of time? He's the oldest Spider-Person we see. He's been Spider-Man for 22 years. So traditionally Spider-Man gets bit when he is 16 and so he's 38 and he goes through that like he did a lot of fighting, you know, he saved the world a bunch of times, got married and got divorced because MJ wanted to have kids and he got scared and he was like, I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know what I'm doing. And so they broke up. And so he is just like a shell of a man because he's like, I don't have direction anymore. I don't have those connections that I had tried to build. I got scared and I broke those connections with the people who I love. And so he's also a mess and like doesn't want to be a mentor, doesn't want to 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 train Miles, but realizes somebody's got to. And so he does. And it makes it, there's this point where like he's fighting with Miles and like Miles is doing great. And he's like, you're doing so good. Oh my God, do I want to have kids? And like (laughs) he has this realization that like, maybe I could do this. It is scary. It's scary. I'm, I'm sure you can relate to this. It's scary to become a parent, but like, 
Oh my gosh, yes. Maybe I'm just going to do it anyway. And that's what he feels like. In that. And that's how he, he feels in that moment. He has that moment of lucidity of like, and I think it helps that like, you know, there's like a charity dinner to raise money for something and celebrating the dead Peter Parker of this dimension. And he, they sneak in in their Spider-Man outfits because all of the waiters are wearing Spider-Man masks, which is a bit uncouth, but whatever. And he sees this universe's version of MJ and he's just like, I'm so sorry that I couldn't be there for you. And she's like, why is this waiter being fucking weird? But he's like, <laughs> he sees her and is like, I need to make things right with my MJ. And that's exactly what he does. You see in the, like the, the, you know, montage at the end of him showing up on her doorstep with flowers and like, I'm going to try this again and, and see if we can't figure it out this time. Um, our other our other three main our other three spider people are are largely there more for comic effect than they are for like deep emotional connections which is okay they're there they're funny they all have yeah they one of the things that is not that that is worth mentioning about this movie is that disparate art styles abound in this film every different universe has a different art style and that art style is maintained when they go to a different universe. So Spider-Man Noir is in black and white because he's from a universe that's black and white. So even though... And his his jacket is always billowing in the wind because where he goes, so goes the wind. Yeah. So he's always like looking incredible and like a menacing noir hero. And that's awesome. And, you know, Penny looks like she's from a weird anime because she's got big anime mm-hmm. eyes and and like talks like she's like hi I'm from an anime world and again spider peter porker the spectacular spider ham is a spider who got bit by a radioactive pig and so <laughs> which again I, I love you know every i know what it is and every time you some you, you just have to say it out loud and you laugh at it <laughs> yes i love that they frame it that way I love that they frame it that way, that as they're doing the big montage, one of the things that this movie does that is really incredible framing is that every time a new spider person is is like introduced, they say, okay, let's do this one last time. And then there's a stack of comic books and a new issue of a new comic book flops on top of the stack of comics that is like the debut issue for that person and then opens up and they tell their like origin story and it's like you know my name's Gwen Stacy when I was 15 I got bit by a spider and for the last two years I've been my universe's one and only spider woman and like each of them have that and then when they do a montage for Spider-Man Noir uh Penny Parker and Spider-Ham that's when like while the other two are like i was bitten by a radioactive spider he's like i was a spider who was bitten by a radioactive ham and it's like (laughs) okay like he's he can pull anvils and hammers from a thing that the the next movie eventually calls hammer space which is the weird side dimensions where comedic characters can just pull out things like that of course he has he he's he's a He's a Looney Tunes character. Of course he can just pull a, a, an anvil from his pants pocket. <laughs> Even though he's in a, a world that's not like that. Like, Miles can't do that. Miles' world is a lot more grounded in reality. But he's from a reality that can do that. So he can do that. Yeah. I think, you know, I love the way in which they 
they reinvent so many of the familiar uh, Spider-Man villains in this version of Miles' universe. You know, in this one, it's not Otto Octavius. It's Olivia Octavius. And she uh-huh. is she is Doc Octo- Dr. Octopus. She doesn't use metal claws. She uses these, like, weird, like... They look like this kind of polymer... Polymer tubes that like can yeah. extend and then like tighten up. And it's, it's a really interesting way to, to attach. How does a person hide four mechanical arms underneath there? Like, you know, Alfred Molina did it by wearing a very large jacket and looking extremely wide in Spider-Man two. She does it by like, <laughs> these can like really retract because they're this polymer. They're not, you know, metal. Um, you know, the scorpion is there in a way that we've never seen the scorpion. Um, you see tombstones there just being tombstone. Like he doesn't do anything different than just be a dude who's gray, but he's there and you're like, Mm -hmm. Hey, Hey, it's tombstone, you know, super Spider-Man villain tombstone. Everybody loves him. The kingpin is like the size of a bus. (laughs) I love when he gets out of a, uh, uh, like the SUV or whatever, and you're like, he's bigger than that. How did car. he? How, how did he fit inside of that? Yeah, I mean, he's doing some dimensional portal stuff inside the car as well. I don't know how else he could do it. I don't know how else he could do it. But yeah, I just, it's just a really special movie, and it just like the emotional scenes with his parents, especially with his dad. You don't get enough of his mom in this movie, but you know, I, there's only so Agreed. much time. Um. But you do get a you know a few really good uh, moments with his dad. I am, however, looking at the uh, <laughs> the Wikipedia page for Into the Spider Verse has a glaring error on it, which is thankfully a thing that they changed for this movie. Do you know what Miles Morales' dad is named in the comic books? No, Jefferson Davis. Okay. And that, I mean, that's what the credit says is his name in this one too. Does it? It shouldn't. Yeah. His name should be Jeff Morales. Why would you name him Jefferson Davis? Why guys? Why would you name your black? Why would you name your black dad after the, the president of the Confederate States of America? You dipsticks. (laughs) Right. Uh, Anyway, I think his name should be Jeff Morales, which I'm pretty sure it is in the other movies, so I don't know where they changed their mind between this one and the next one, but his name is Jeff Morales in the next movie. Interesting. As well it should be. That's a much better name. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, I just... It's got a great cast. It's got a really, really good cast. Um, oh, yeah. Shamik Moore, who plays Miles Morales, is not a guy who I really know. I know he's largely a... Uh, a, a a musician more than he is an actor. Um, he'd been in a couple things before this, but he does a really great job. Um, uh, Jake Johnson is Peter B. Parker, which I think is great. And I also love that that's not who is Peter Parker in Miles's universe. That's Chris Pine, right. baby. Chris Pine yeah. plays Miles's far more together Spider-Man, Peter Parker. <laughs> Than the mess up Peter Parker we get from a different dimension. You've got Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy. She's always great. I always love to see Haley Steinfeld in anything. You know, perennial favorite of our podcast, Kate Bishop herself. 
you know, I, I I'm going to just say, I don't really know that much about Haley Steinfeld other than like this. And again, in Hawkeye and I, I freaking love her. She's great. She's like, great. She's great. She sells, she sells Bumblebee. You got to see Bumblebee. Again, she sells I haven't it. seen a, in a bunch of other stuff, but she's, Oh, and that I've heard that I've heard that it's good because of her, but like, seriously, I'm, I don't know. Like she's one of those who, yeah, I, I was very pleased and she does such a good time, a good job in, in this. And, uh, yeah, I just, the cast is great. She played Emily Dickinson in the Apple TV show Dickinson, which I've heard is extremely good and gets extremely gay in the third season. So I should see it, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Cause who has an Apple plus subscription? Hey, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we make our choices. Some Fight of us, me. <laughs> some of us have uh, subscriptions to Crunchyroll, and some of us have subscriptions to Apple TV so they can watch Ted Lasso. No, 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 no. Let me explain briefly. I have a subscription to Apple TV because I am paying for Apple T for, okay. So I'm paying for Apple music for everybody in the family. So there's $15 because I have six people on that iCloud. I've got to pay for extra iCloud storage to get enough for everybody. That would be nine 99 a month. So we're now at $25. I like being able to have Apple arcade, because if Gareth wants to play games on his phone, I can just be like, dude, just get it from Apple Arcade. And I know there's never going to be scams. There's not going to be any in-app purchases. Sure. It's a great way to find new games. That's $5. So I'm at 30 bucks right now. Now, if I just pay $30, I get all of those plus Apple News Plus and Apple TV Plus and um, all the iCloud Plus whatever stuff that's like iCloud Private Relay and this and the other. So... For what I was paying before they released the Apple One bundle, I was paying more a month. And so now I pay the $30 a month to get all of that stuff, and it includes Apple TV. And so that's why I have Apple TV. I wouldn't pay for Apple TV alone, although I do think they have some really good things on there. I've started watching Shrinking now that um, Ted Lasso is done, and Harrison Ford is a delightful curmudgeon in that show. Sure. And, and so there's good stuff on there. Anyway, I've heard that's I, I've aside. heard that's good. I've heard Severance is very good. Um, yeah, I've heard Dickinson heard is too. very good. Um, also, oh, and, I loved Mythic Quest. I thought Mythic Quest was awesome. I've heard I've hilarious. heard that's good too. I you know also Haley Steinfeld was in the True Grit remake, which was better than you would have thought. But it is a Coen Brothers movie, so you I guess you should have thought it was going to be good because they usually make good movies. But I was like remaking True Grit. Uh, the remake is better than the original. <laughs> Well, so I guess let's, uh, let's get back on track because one of the really interesting things that I liked about how this movie approached this is there, I think there are a lot of reasons why Spider-Man is a favorite superhero for so many people. Uh -huh. And there are a lot of reasons why Spider-Man was my favorite superhero growing up. Superman was at first. And then I think honestly is as I grew a little bit, Spider-Man becomes the favorite because Superman is too everything. Superman is too good. He's too strong. He's too perfect. He's too, he's not flawed. And Spider-Man, I feel, has always been such a compelling character in comics because he is such a 
deeply flawed character. And the Spider-Man of our main universe, the Chris Pine Spider-Man, is not No, that. he's not. This is Spider-Man who hasn't suffered. This is not Spider-Man who is, you know, barely scraping by, you know, m- selling pictures to the Daily Bugle so that he can have a little one-bedroom crap apartment in Brooklyn somewhere. This is not the Spider-Man who has had, you know, nonstop relationship problems. This is not the Spider-Man who has to uh, hide. I mean, yes, he he keeps his identity secret for all the reasons Spider-Man always does. But this, you know, this Spider-Man, this is Spider-Man who is kind of on top of the world. Yeah. He's got it all. He really is. He's a celebrity. Everybody loves him. He's got a great family. He's got this, that, and the other. And as I think we see, that character not that interesting in general. Mm -hmm. And so by bringing in Peter B. Parker, like, look, I identify with Peter B. Parker. (laughs) Fair. I don't identify with Peter Parker. He's too perfect. But, you know, you've got, you've got Gwen coming in and you can, and, and this is again, a credit to Haley Steinfeld, but you can hear the loss and the pain in her voice. And, and you can so see that she too is a deeply flawed person because of the losses and the things that she has been through. And she is still really young and she's dealing with a whole hell of a lot. And you can, again, in the portrayal, you feel that. And, and we see obviously with miles being our primary character, you know, we see his kind of alienation. He's at this fancy academy where he's supposed to be there all week and then comes home on the weekends. And it's not the school he went to and it's not where his friends are and he doesn't fit in and he doesn't know who he is. And he's trying to find this out and he's got his dad on the one side who, who loves him, but is the police officer and is the, you know, I hate Spider-Man because, you know, a police, us police, we're doing this and he's out there. And then you've got his uncle Aaron who understands him at least to some degree a little bit better and where miles feels he can be himself around them around uncle Aaron. And then, you know, just especially those main kind of three spider people, but not even that you've got Wilson Fisk who you, they don't go into it in super detail because they don't need to, because they do such an effective job in these little snippets and scenes of you understanding who he was and that his wife and his son saw him about ready to kill Spider-Man and, and abandoned him mm-hmm. in understanding who he truly was. They have abandoned him. And so now we have Wilson Fisk, who is a broken man because the two people in his life that you get the impression that he truly loved and thought that they truly loved him have abandoned him. Uh-huh. And so, and then die you know, in a car accident as they're, as they're fleeing him. And so they do such a good job of setting up this perfect, amazing, not that interesting Spider-Man and then using him as this tragic catalyst to bring in these other spider people who we as the audience can find things to relate to. And it humanizes these fantastical characters in just such a masterful way and in a very economical way. Cause there's a lot in this movie and it doesn't, it, it does not break the two hour mark. I think that it's tight. It flows quickly. There's never any time 
that feels unnecessary or wasted or anything. Like it is, it, it to me, it just felt watching it tonight. It felt super tight. Yeah. Super just everything was exactly where it needed to be. And, and you get these rich stories and these, again, just these flawed, these flawed characters that make them so much more relatable and enjoyable people because they're not the, you know, the Mary Sue or the Gary Stew. Like they are, they are, they feel real, even though this is a fantastical animated world of spider people. Yep. I a hundred percent. And it takes a lot. I mean, it takes a lot to make that happen. And that's where, again, I look at this and I go, I think that there have been other superhero movies that have been able to do that to some degree, but I don't think any of them have done it as successfully as this, nor have they done it as, as humanly, you know, like a true human way to portray these characters. And it's, it's amazing because they're not being played. I mean, again, voice actors, this is, I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but this right here is a perfect example of the value of voice work as well as shout out to the people, you know, the, the writer's guild and, and those people who are looking for more fair treatment and pay and, and things that they deserve because the writing in this movie is impeccable. It really is. I think I could say it is perfect. I, I I'm, I'm watching this today and I'm like, do I have a single negative thing to say? And I don't think I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I, you know, it, it's incredible. It's really incredible. And all I will say about the follow-up, which we will talk about in two weeks, is that it might not hit the same emotional highs, but it is somehow even more incredible to look at. And like, I wow. had just, I had an incredible time watching it. And it is so wild. That's what I'll say about the second one. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It digs I'm, into we'll a lot of the things that we have just talked about, things we liked about this movie. And I, I'm going to go see it a second time before we talk about it. That's the nice thing about us putting off two weeks. I will go see this movie a second time because it was great. You, you know, to the visual aspect of it, I do want to touch on that. And again, I know I haven't seen as many animated movies as you have, but I think the reason why in the, at the end of watching this, I kind of said, you know, I think for me, this might be the best anime. I mean, no, not might, this is the best animated movie I've ever seen is the way they, again, I appreciate when artists utilize their medium to the maximum of its potential yeah, and do things with it that can only be done for me, a perfect example kind of an aside for this would be the first uh, portal game. Okay. Portal tells a cool story in a way that is engaging and could only be conveyed in a way that is anywhere near as engaging because it is a game. Mm -hmm. You know, they lean into the video gaminess of it and use that to their advantage. This team leans into the animated aspect of this. I mean, there are things that like, you know, you get that, at times it looks like kind of the pointillistic color that you have in old comic books where, you know, you, if you put up a magnifying glass, you're going to see all the red, green and, uh, you know, blue dots and, and that are being used to, to create the pages. Like there's, a, there's moments like that. 
They do fascinating things with the frame rate yeah. of oh, the animation yeah. uh-huh. of the characters at times. I mean, they just lean into it. And these is just people who are so smart to say, what can we do to better enhance this story with the animation? And like you pointed out, the different worlds have their different animation and their different, their different art styles. And they preserve that even when they're in their other world, you know, Spider-Ham looks like a, just a, like a, like it looks kind of like Sunday morning funnies style cartoon, you know, comic strip kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like Porky Pig. It's like Porky Pig dressed up in a spider costume. Yeah. And, and so they maintain all these things in, in such a, such an amazing way with such a sense of just dedication and love for the medium that they're using that it is, it is breathtaking. I mean, it really is again, even just the intro, they were doing things with the animation in the intro that made me go, Oh yeah, this is even better than I thought. So it is, it is a visual feast. We've talked about how like it's really satisfying when superhero stuff will make homage or draw in some of those things that you get from uh from comics into them like in the ms marvel show the ms marvel disney plus show whenever she would text it would do weird like text bubbles in the world around her as if it was a comic book right or um yeah you know, I I have the uh, controversial. I am of the controversial opinion that Ang Lee's Hulk is one of the best superhero movies ever made because of the way that Ang Lee was like, "Yo, what if I just make a comic book? What if I just make a comic book that moves and like really yeah. leans into?" The source material for this is comics, so I'm going to use framing. I'm going to use like comics style devices to make it look like this was ripped from a comic book. But because this is animated, they can crank that dial to eleven. Yeah, and they do, and they, and and they really do. It just it it's incredible to look at, and again, the sequel is even more incredible to look at. Yeah, so I'm excited really, for us to get there. I'm excited. As am I, and I'll just echo, you know, kind of what you'd said, I think earlier, like if you haven't seen it, good Lord, you got to see this movie. It's real good. And if you've seen it, go watch it again. It had been um, whatever, five-ish, four or five years. It came out in 2018, which is amazing and incredible for me to realize, but I haven't watched it in a long time. And boy, I was, I was, it, it was gripping. I was glued to the just everything about it, the story, the visuals, the music. I think they do a great job using that. Just everything about this was just pretty much spot on. I mean, you know, it reminded me a little bit of when we watched Logan, we both finished it going, we thought this was really good the first time. And it was even better when we watched it again. And this is that, but then with the added bonus of not being an incredibly sad and you know, down dark film, but instead being kind of a a positive life affirming, just, just absolute joy of a movie. And I thank the people who made it and uh, people need to watch this movie and they need to watch it again. And they need to be reminded why Spider-Man slash spider people in their many iterations 
are in, in my opinion, some of the most endearing and enduring characters in uh, comic book literature. I agree. And that's maybe where we'll close out. Like I know I'm a little biased. Spider-Man is not my favorite superhero that is she Hulk for better or for worse, often for worse <laughs> because <laughs> it's hard to be a she Hulk fan out there. Sometimes <laughs> we're not served very well. Spider-Man it's served really well because like, it's true. It's, it's an embarrassment of Spider-Man riches, but that's a great thing to be because he just, you know, you said earlier, he's just, He's relatable in a way that Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, even Captain America and Iron Man just aren't because they're all like rich or um, super powered or and like they're perfect. They're they're Yeah. Even even the flawed Marvel characters. I can't relate to Iron Man because I'm not a multi multi billionaire and I can't relate to Captain America because I'm not a fucking soldier. But I can relate to Spider-Man because I have been a poor grad student and often in the comic book Spider-Man is a poor <laughs> graduate student. Yes, in, <laughs> we can sympathize in, in the Spider-Man you know, video game, which was great. He was a poor graduate student in the Spider-Man two video game coming out October 20th of this year. He's probably going to still be a poor grad student. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and again, it just gets back to what I said earlier, at least in my opinion, flawed characters are always more interesting. Agreed. Because we are all flawed. We are all broken. And guess what, everybody? This world is so fucked up. And so being able to identify with these flawed human beings who are dealing with a fucked up world, kind of like the one we live in, it gives you hope. It gives you, I don't know, it, it, it sounds stupid, but you can find strength. You can find, uh, you can find positivity in that stuff. And, and Spider-Man has always been, uh, better at that than a lot of superhero characters. And this movie just does it in spades and it really does and nails it. It really does. So, so that's why we'll be back in two weeks talking about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Yes, we will. I'm very excited to see it, especially after watching this again. Yeah. So we'll be back in two weeks. Um, if there's anything that you would like to, you know, chat with us about, you can always reach us at feedback at the middle of Uh, you know, leave a review or a rating. Um, and until we are back in two weeks, have a great, uh, you know, have a great, have, have a great summer. It's summer now. It is summer and enjoy it. Cause it's not going to last winter will come. It's true. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.